Welcome to the most nutritious hour of business talk all week. This is Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Your host and moderator is Bonnie D. Graham. You'll hear from the innovators who have learned to use game-changing technologies to shake up the status quo and help move today's businesses in new directions. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the Game Changers, you are absolutely in the right place. We have a special edition of Coffee Break today. I've invited back three thought leaders who were on just a few weeks ago to revisit a topic that was so big we couldn't cover it in one show. We're going to be talking again about today's digital disruption, how leaders prepare for tomorrow, part two. So let me give you some insights here. Here's the buzz. Companies that view technology as a tool rather than an integrated part of a vastly different business future risk their very survival. That is a big, heavy, big deal statement. Where did it come from? The SAP Digital Transformation Executive Study done with Oxford Economics called Four Ways Leaders Set Themselves Apart. So, where are we today? We are in the fourth industrial revolution. What's happening? Digital technologies. You already know that. Why is this important? They're changing the world and they're challenging your business. So what does today's digital transformation leader need to do to ensure that their company stays alive today and is relevant tomorrow? That is a big challenge. Our panel of SAP researchers and futurists will report on the findings. So let me introduce them. Just go around the table fast. I'll let them say hello this time. We'll break with the format. David Yonker, VP Thought Leadership Marketing at SAP. How are you, David? Good. How are you, Bonnie? Great to be on the show. Oh, we're delighted to have you. David and I work very closely together. We're on the same team, and I'm happy. Actually, we all are. Uh, second up, we're going to be talking in a moment to Michael Rander, Research Director, Digital Transformation and Future of Work at SAP. Michael, welcome back. How are you? I am great, Bonnie. Thank you so much for having me back. Uh, well, you earned it. You were, you were great on the on part one of this. And rounding out the panel, our futurist, our sci-fi specialist, Dan Weller's Global Lead for Digital Futures at SAP. How are you, Dan? Uh, oh, my. I am great. As usual, <laughs> Bonnie, this is the highlight of my week. Oh, you're too kind. You're too, but I know you mean it, so it's okay. So let's talk to David. Now, David sent me a wonderful quote from Derek Thompson, who is a blogger at TheAtlantic.com, a staff editor for the Business Channel, and writes about economic policy, technology, and the media industry. He's a hotshot. He's written for Slate, one of my favorite online ma- uh, news magazines, Business Week, and The Daily Beast, and he's all over the media. Here's the quote David has selected from Derek Thompson. Moonshots. Don't begin with brainstorming clever answers. They start with the hard work of finding the right questions. I think that's a lesson for life. David Yonker, talk to me. How did you find this quote from Derek Thompson's article inside Google's Moonshot Factory? Well, I was uh, reading The Atlantic magazine. so I I didn't read it online. I don't even know if the article is posted online. Maybe it is. Um, But uh, it was uh, published in the uh, November issue of uh, this November uh, issue of uh, The Atlantic. Um, And uh, the the article was fantastic just to get a sense for, um, you know, Google's Moonshot Factory, for example. But uh, but, um, the quote really stood out for me because it, it talked about how that factory really sort of goes about uh, thinking about making sure they have the right question. And, and when you think about digital transformation, it's the same sort of deal. You know, these are big, complex things to take on. 
And if you don't put the right investment up front uh, into making sure you're focused on the right things, the, you know, the, the right business priorities, the right sort of business imperative, um, you can spend a lot of time and effort uh, solving the wrong problem. Um, and, uh, and so really the, the quotes seem to capture that in a beautiful way. It's, it certainly does. And David, I googled uh, the title and I came up with a couple of places here at the Atlantic.com magazine, Google X and the Science of Radical Creativity. How do you like that one? How, that's Derek Thompson. How the secretive Silicon Valley lab is trying to resurrect the lost art of invention. Is, is that a sarcastic subhead there, David? Resurrect no, the lost not. art of invention? It, not? Tell no, me. It's not. No, you know, it, coming out of the Google moonshot, Factory has been things like uh, the, the the self-driving car, for example, and all the work that okay. Google's done around that. I mean, they've they've definitely taken on some projects that have been um, have seemed fantastic in nature, um, but nonetheless, um, uh, you know, have uh, you know taking on some some very serious and, and challenging problems. And and really, what the part of what the article talked about was that. You know, as a as a country, the United States. Well, I'd say as a Canadian too, we've got the same challenge. Um, you know, we've moved away from this idea of invention. We think of invention as you know the next startup uh, or you know something uh, clever we do to optimize you know our business processes, and those are important things. But you know, in the case of uh, you know Google, with you know invention, uh, what they're talking about here is you know invention that really sort of uh, uh, breaks the boundaries uh, of uh, of the way we think and approach problems. Um, so it's beyond optimization. And in many ways, you know, when we talk about digital transformation, at some level we're talking about how companies reinvent themselves. It's a, it's a form of invention for sure. Very interesting, David. We'll talk about that more later in reference to the study, but I'm always intrigued with who has this Eureka moment, David, and I'll address this to Michael and Dan also. Who in a company has this? Is this something a leader wakes up in the middle of the night? Is it in the C-suite, this man or woman in the C-suite? And do they wake up one morning and say, wow, we need to reinvent. Wow, this digital thing, it's here. Are we doing enough? Let's sit down and brainstorm. I'm wondering if that's a realistic scenario. And Dan might say that's very sci-fi, Bonnie. It's not happening in real life. But let's leave that on the, let's leave that on the table for now. I'm very curious about that. Thank you for the great quote, David. And I'm going tweet the uh, the link to that quote. And now let's turn to Michael Rander. Michael has sent us a very good quote as well from William Pollard. I believe that's William Grovesner Pollard, Pollard uh, a physicist and Episcopal priest uh, who co-authored material, uh, blah, blah, blah. First he did religious writing, but then he turned to, uh, he championed the Oak Ridge Institute of Nuclear Studies and was its executive director until 1974. He was called the Atomic Deacon. That's quite a combination there. Maybe, uh, I don't know. Uh, oxymoron. Here's the quote. Learning and innovation go hand in hand. The arrogance of success is to think that what you did yesterday will be sufficient for tomorrow. Michael Rander, talk to me about the quote. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, this one was just, it was one of those where I saw it and I, I at the time when I saw it, I just put it down. And I was like, this makes a lot of sense. And it, it, it sort of made me think about what what you need to do to to stay ahead, basically, right? Because I mean, thinking about your success and 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 saying, okay, what you did yesterday is not enough is something we should basically be doing every day, right? Uh, you you got to take it to the next level. So for me, having that 
in the back of my mind and thinking about learning and innovation as we go forward and, and always saying, okay, what not, what, how can I do what made me great yesterday, but what can make me great tomorrow is sort of the driving force behind this, um, this digital transformation uh, study in a sense, right? Because what we, one of the things we saw, and I'm sure we'll, we'll talk more about that, is that those who are doing it really well, they're doing mm-hmm. it all out. And, and that's what's really making the difference. So they're, they're not just trying to piecemeal it together or do it in incremental steps. They're, they're going all out and, and doing something radically different from everyone, everyone else. So that's what really stood out for me in, in this particular quote. Thank you, Michael. I'm, I'm very intrigued with, um, I'm getting an echo, Aaron, on my line. There it's gone. I'm very intrigued with the phrase in the second sentence from the quote from William Pollard, the arrogance of success. And that makes me think of two old sayings that may predate when you were born, uh, Michael. One is, don't rest on your laurels. And I think that's what that means. You know, what you did already, so what? Let's go do something else new now. And the other thing is, there's an old phrase, I don't know if any of you remember it, maybe Dan does, good, better, best, never let it rest till the good is better and the better is best. Dan Wellers, do you remember that one? I do remember that. <laughs> I'm not Sorry. sure how to take your old quote. That's okay. Listen, it. I'm 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 the senior on the call, so it's okay. okay. There's, there's, nobody feels badly about this. Yeah, I admit. All right. All right. I just wanted to bring that up. So, Michael, I'm I'm so intrigued with arrogance of success, which implies to me that uh, leaders going through this transformation, saying, "Well, we already did that. Yeah, everything's great. We're ready for the future. We're just going to go off into this this heavenly stratosphere of of digital wonderness, wonderfulness." And we're we're going to have great profits and everybody's going to love our company and we're all set for the next 10 years. So we, we are basically saying, I guess, what Pollard is saying is don't stop. Don't say it's enough. Take your success right. and build on it. Is that what you, you see? At? Yep. Absolutely. I mean, it, 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 it's definitely a process where you can say, okay, well, we've digitally transformed our company. And a lot of companies are saying, okay, well, we've, we've taken steps to do it in 50% of our company or 70% or even 100%. But that doesn't mean that they stop there, right? So it, it really is an ongoing process. You, you, you go all out, you do it, you digitally transform your company, but it doesn't stop there. It's, it's going to be an ongoing process going forward. It's just a, a wheel you have to turn all the time. Wow. And we talk about work-life integration and work-life balance. The word balance went out the window years ago. Uh, I call it work-life coping. <laughs> when, do, when do you fit one and the other? And, and my goodness, it sounds like leadership requires 24-7 whether we want to admit it or not. I see the mice turning that wheel. Thank you, Michael. Great quote and, and a great interpretation. And Dan Wellers, of course, I'm getting to you next. And you sent us a quote from Ray Kurzweil. Well, Ray Kurzweil is a force of nature. He received, I don't know if you know this, Dan, 21 honorary doctorate degrees. He's been honored by three U.S. presidents. He's been called the restless genius by the Wall Street Journal and the ultimate thinking machine by Forbes. He's one of 16 revolutionaries who made America, and he's been called Edison's rightful heir. And, uh, and and he's an old-timer like me. We're actually born in the same year. You can look it up, but that's my secret till you do. So uh, he studied text-to-speech synthesis, speech recognition technology, electronic keyboard instruments. He was an inventor and a futurist. So he is. Here is the quote. What we, what we spend our time on is probably the most important decision we make. Dan, let's have your interpretation, please. Yeah, I mean, Ray Kurzweil is, as you said, one of the preeminent futurists, as well as a lot of other things, and he's quoted a lot, 
about futurist types of things, but this quote's a little different, and that's why I picked it. I picked it for two reasons, actually. First is is that you know, we spend a lot of time, I spend a lot of time thinking and, and talking about the future and envisioning the future we want so we can avoid the future that we don't want and, and that kind of thing. But we have to remember that our future depends on what we do today. It's, it's the result of, of the, the myriad decisions we make about you know, where to apply our focus you know, many times every day. Uh, so, so this quote from a futurist actually, actually grounds us in the importance of now. So that's the first reason I liked it. It intrigued me from that perspective. The other reason that it appeals to me is that, that um, yeah, I, I believe, you know, like many people do, that, that, that you know, time is the most important currency that we have. You know, Ray mentions in his quote, and we talk about mm-hmm. how we spend time, spending time. Um, and, and it's limited for us. I mean, once, once, once it's gone, it's gone. You don't get a day back. You don't get an, an hour back. Uh, and it's just, there's no way to get more back, so let's make every moment count. However, I find it fascinating that in, in the interview where Ray Kurzweil actually said this quote, he was also talking about the, the possibility, the likelihood of radical life extension. The, the fact that medical and technology advances are going to soon allow us to live 150 to 150 or 200 years old or even longer, which in some ways runs counter to the idea that our time is limited, right? So, so how does he reconcile both of these ideas in his head is something I'd really like to ask him uh, from the perspective of the futurist that he is. So that's Dan, why. Dan, maybe we need to invite him on Game Changers Radio. Wow, that would be cool. Would that be cool? You and yeah. I will talk. We'll talk offline and see if we can get him on a show. That would be really, 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 really cool. So now that we've gotten uh, gotten to address the very interesting, fascinating quotes the three of you have provided for our opening today, let's go around the table and find out where you are. And Thanksgiving just finished, at least the U.S. Thanksgiving. I know, uh, David, you're in Canada. I, I, Michael, are you in Canada as well? No. In, you're in not. Diego. San Diego, not, that, that didn't go to Canada yet. Okay, so my question is, if you celebrated Thanksgiving, what was your favorite part of the holiday, and what was your favorite drink? And David, you can remember back to Canadian Thanksgiving. So David, where are you today, and what's your favorite drink for the holidays? I am in Waterloo, Canada, and uh, it is a uh, cool, uh, cool, I should say cool day. It's about freezing. It's about the freezing mark, um, and, uh, and, uh, and keeping warm. But nonetheless, yep, and thinking of great holiday drinks, because what better thing to, to sort of keep you warm? Um, I have uh, the, I'm not big on a lot of the, uh, you know, the eggnog and those sorts of drinks. That's not, that's not my thing. Um, love, um, I love a chai latte, actually, if it's sort of mid-afternoon mm. uh, on a holiday. Uh, and as we head into the evening, uh, there's nothing like a, a glass of scotch. Ah, do you have a favorite brand you want to uh, recommend for us? Uh, I'm a, I'm a big fan of Glenn Fittich. Okay, good to know. Thank yeah. you very much. Anybody wants to buy David Yonker a nice present, you you know what's on his wish list. Thank you, David, very much. <laughs> and now let's turn to Michael Rander, who is not in Canada. I'm so sorry about that. Wasn't sure. Michael, where are you today? And what do you love to drink over the holidays? 
So I am in, in San Diego. I actually used to live in Canada, but uh, I'm now in San Diego um, for the holidays. So I spend I spend a couple of days going uh, with the family to Palm Desert. Um, so it was a, a nice little trip there, and uh, it was exceptionally warm. Um, so for for the holidays, I think my favorite drink there was actually a, a lovely margarita. Um, but mm. um, it was a bit un. Uh, Thanksgiving light, but uh, very nice for the surroundings and for the weather. So uh, I'll go with that one. You have to be climate appropriate. Nobody says you have to only drink certain things because it's Thanksgiving. David is shivering and you're drinking margaritas. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I don't know about climate warming or global warming, but we certainly still have disparate temperatures. And that's a good thing because we know where to move. David, we know where to come if we're tired of the hot weather and you know where you're. Yeah, never mind. Dan Wellers, where are you today? Uh, What was your favorite holiday drink or what are you looking forward to, please? Yeah, I'm in Ridgefield, Connecticut. Um, it's a beautiful sunny day here. Uh, and over the holidays, I mean, I was home. We had, uh, I have three grown kids, except they were all home. And when they're home, they don't always act grown. But, but they were home <laughs> for the holidays, and it was fun. Uh, the holiday itself, uh, we had a great sort of out, outside backyard football game, um, which was oh. you know, just great fun. This is American football, right, with that funny-shaped thing that you throw. Yeah. Uh, the... Um, Favorite drink? You know, I, I introduced my kids to the to the the joys of home brewing beer uh, when they got old enough. Actually, a little before they got old enough. We don't need to talk about that. And my kids no. have my the, the the two boys have have picked that up on their own. And one of them brought home some of his most recent, and it was a wonderful porter, a porter beer that he had brewed, and he brought home a case of it, and that, that was it was wonderful. So that was my favorite drink over the holiday. It was just a wonderful time all together. Very, very, very nice. And my drink over the holiday was a little bit of Chardonnay. I'm now living 20 minutes away from my daughter and her family, which is a sheer joy in my life just to be so close to family. And um, I baked two pies for Thanksgiving. She did all the turkey and trimmings, and I baked an apple pie and a pumpkin pie. I had two revelations. Number one, if you buy the Libby's pureed pumpkin, unflavored, unsweetened kind, and you follow the recipe exactly with the evaporated milk and the spices and all of that. And even with a a frozen store-bought Pet Ritz crust, it turns out absolutely fabulous without any any permutations or changes. It's just really, really good, not too sweet. And the other thing I learned is a friend taught me for the apple pie, if you cut the apples into large wedges, like moon-shaped, thick, and you layer them and you alternate Green Granny Smith with Red Rome apples inside the pie, and you smush soft butter on top of each layer and then sprinkle it with cinnamon sugar and then add the crust on top. Oh my, that's all I can say is oh my. So wow. after all these years, I got a new recipe for apple pie and it was scrumptious. What can I tell you? A little bit of latte to go with it. Oh, I'll have to, next time we all get together, I'd have, will we ever? I will bake that. There, David, that's a, a reason for, for a team get-together at some point. I'll bake the pies. <laughs> exactly. So we are talking. I, I know we're, we're laughing. We're having a good time. But we're talking about a very serious topic, digital transformation. It's here. It's now. We're in the fourth industrial revolution. Things are changing. If you've got blinders on, if you're sitting there in your company and saying, yeah, we had a really good year. That sets us up for the next till 2020. No, don't rest on your laurels. Don't sit there and be arrogant in your success. You have to look ahead, be active, and you may not sleep when 
once you realize what's coming down the pike. We're talking about a particular study, the SAP Digital Transformation Executive Study performed with Oxford Economics called Four Ways Leaders Set Themselves Apart. And let me just lay out here before we go to break some of the key questions the study addressed. Number one, what defines a digital transformation leader? And we'll talk about this after the break. How do leaders make changes transformational, not just incremental? And there is a difference. Third question, what are their priorities? Now, get this, the customer or their workforce talent? That's a tough choice to make. Do you have to make the choice? We'll find out. And what technology bets are they making or investing in that you and your company should make too? So we're going to talk about the answers to all of these interesting questions that are important for any company, anywhere, any industry, any footprint, any part of the world. So today's Digital Disruption, How Leaders Prepare for Tomorrow, Part 2, with my very special guests, David Yonker, Michael Rander, Dan Wellers. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and I plan to be after the break, so we're going to take a quick one. Don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. 90 seconds, count them. We'll be right back. Aaron out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP. SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime, anywhere, and on any device. www.sap.com. Get the latest insights on disruptive technologies and trends that are impacting the digital economy. Listen to the SAP Digitalist Flash Briefings and take your business to the next level. Just add the SAP Digitalist Flash Briefing as a skill to your Amazon Echo, Echo Dot, or Echo View. The SAP Digitalist Flash Briefings are also available on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, VoiceAmerica.com, Overcast, TuneIn, and Stitcher. Be in the know with the SAP Digitalist Flash Briefings. Follow the Voice America Talk Radio Network on Twitter. We're at Voice America TRN. You'll get the latest fix on what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and general happenings that you should know about at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Now you don't have to miss anything when you're away from your home or office. Just go to twitter.com forward slash Voice America TRN or follow along with us at Voice America TRN, the Voice America Talk Radio Network. We're on the cutting edge of social media. Can you keep up? We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network wherever you go. In addition to listening live, you can check out information about your favorite talk show hosts, discover new talk show personalities, add shows to your list of favorites, and listen to all our show archives on demand. All from your iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market, and get ready to tune in. The Voice America mobile app, powered by Aircast. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
You're enjoying Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. You can send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com. And you're invited to tweet your questions and comments during and after the show at Twitter, hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to Coffee Break with Game Changers. Yes, indeed. We're back with my special guests, David Yonker, Michael Rander, and Dan Wellers. Okay, here's a message for you business leaders out there. Wannabe leaders who are thinking of starting a company, anybody with a small startup business, an SME, or all the way up to what I call the big behemoth organizations, the enterprises. It's time. You cannot sit and rest on successes. You have to become a digital transformation leader, like it or not. And it's a perfect lead-in into our first topic here. I'm looking at David Yonker's notes he sent me before the show. And David says, digital transformation is often a wicked problem. He puts that in quotes for companies. David, why don't you tell us how wicked it is and what it has to do with the reality check on leaders today? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and, and of course, we're talking about wicked, not not in the sense of wicked in terms of evil, but wicked is in, in the sense that it's very complex with many interdependencies. And... Um, and in fact, actually, the, the digital transformation study we, we um, did sort of, um, uh, you know, pull some of that out a little bit, you know, or it's, it's hinted at in some of the, the results that we saw. So, for example, um, you know, looking at, uh, in the study, we look at, for example, um, you know, the digital leaders, if you like, the 3% that, you know, have really sort of... Uh, Embrace digital transformation or making a, a world of difference across their organization versus the rest of us, if you like. Um, and uh, the leaders very much see a digital transformation as something that's sort of core to their overall business uh, goals. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and per- pervasive, if you like, throughout the organization. Um, but they're five times more likely actually to, to not only uh, make um, technology. Uh, changes because you know ninety three percent of leaders actually see technology as sort of critically important, but they're five times also five times more likely to make organizational structural changes, right? So they're they're seeing that that digital transformation for them is this wicked uh, inter uh, problem that has many uh, sort of interdependencies in terms of how you get that accomplished, um, and uh, and so you know it requires a huge investment and uh, in how you approach that, and it really sort of uh, touches on you know, the thinking behind the quote that I gave, right, which is um, when you're doing these moonshots, when you're taking on these wicked problems, uh, it's really important that you spend the right amount of time um, early on defining the problem and making sure you understand it and exploring that problem because when you're dealing with a wicked problem, there's no perfect solution. Some things will do, work better, some things won't. Um, and, uh, and if you don't uh, focus in on defining that problem uh, very carefully up front, uh, you could be changing the things that, uh, that, that in the end lead you down the wrong path um, and don't lead you to greater success, but you know, lead you into a dip, if, if you like, in your business that continues on uh, for, for much longer than you really intended. There you go. That's the goal. Thank you, David. Good insights there. Michael Rander, thoughts, agree or disagree with what David, or do you want to add anything to that? Well, I, do, I did want to add something to it. I think that I mean that that definitely makes sense. Uh, but what what's also important for these companies, and and the reason it is such a wicked problem in in David's terms, is it's it's something that really goes across the entire span of the organization, and not just from an organizational perspective, but from a 
technological perspective, from an investment perspective, from a talent perspective, and from a customer perspective. So, I mean, it, it, it's something where companies, they need to think about all these pieces in uniform, in, in unison, sorry. Um, mm-hmm. So that's what the study sort of highlights is the fact that you can't just think about it in one direction. You, you need to have a mindset, what we call the digital mindset, that goes across these four main areas. Uh, and you need to t- take all of those to the next level and you need to do it at pretty much at the same time. I mean, you can start out with certain things, but if, if you really want to get to the next level, you need to have focus across the board and you need to make those changes and the investments and the organizational uh, adaptations in order to be successful and be at the top of the pack. Um, so that, that's really what the study was, was demonstrating, that the 3% who are actually doing that are reaping the benefits and, and they're really they're making a lot more changes but they're also more prepared for the future, right? So, so what they're seeing is that, hey, we are better, uh, they're better organized, um, they're putting more money towards investments in the new technologies like big data, machine learning, IoT, uh, and so forth. But the way they're making investments are also different than uh, what the rest of them are doing, right? And, and that's what's really bringing them to the next level, uh, both from a revenue organiza- organizational efficiency perspective and in the end, uh, customer satisfaction as well. Thank you very much, Michael. Dan Weller's thoughts, please. Yeah, thanks. No, I will add to that. Um, yeah. you, both David and Michael talked about uh, mental models, mental frameworks, and I think the, the reason that it's wicked, so difficult, is that it's really hard to get people out or to get out of your existing mental model that you've grown up with. Uh, and it's, 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 this is a... This transition, this industrial revolution, is much more, it's much bigger a shift. It's much more massive than the previous ones and much more difficult to get, your, to get our arms around. And there are three, three reasons for that. One is that you know, the operative word in this, this transformation is digital. Uh, and digital, as you know, we know and has been talked about, drives a lot of powerful forces. One is the dematerialization, and the best example of that is that, that, that you know, in the mobile devices, the phones we carry around, the cameras have been turned into software, right? So that's, you know, mm-hmm. things, are, things are turning into software and bits. Demonetization is another one, a big word for something that means that bits are free to copy. So you know, the marginal cost of producing, the cost of producing another product it goes to zero, which is great for consumers, but it's not great for companies if you're trying to sustain sustain profits. And it, digital technology advances so quickly, and that's you know, Moore's Law and exponential advances. The second and more important is the rapid convergence of everything. It's digital. It means you can build on other people's stuff quickly. You can combine it into new products and platforms. So the effect is rapid obsolescence of everything from products to business models to entire companies. And then the third difficulty comes in is that we humans, we are linear thinkers. We're not exponential thinkers. Our brains evolved in a totally different threat environment of really slow change and small numbers. So we're really not equipped to make sense of things that are moving this fast. Example, you know, 57% of the companies on the Fortune 500 between 1995 and 2015 are now gone. It's not that they're off the list. They're gone. So we, as, as humans, we have a hard time. We don't have the thinking and the models to deal with as yet. We're developing them. Thank you, Dan. David, you started this. I'd like you to wrap it up. Anything you want to add to what your colleagues on the panel just shared? 
Yeah, well, well, the challenges are holistic. Uh, you know, the the um, the thing also to keep in mind is that that doesn't mean that projects, digital transformation projects, should be this sort of as massive, all-encompassing, take everything off on all at the same time. You know, bite off more than you can chew kind of uh, project. Um, and uh, you know, the, the companies that that succeed you know, figure out that even though while they're looking for a holistic uh, transformation, you know, they're doing it in a way that's stepwise and, um, you know, bite-sized, if you like. You know, they're taking on certain parts of the business and transforming that over time. Typically, as the research study shows, um, uh, the, the, the the most successful ones are starting with the customer and thinking through how they digitally transform the way they interact with their customers. Um, so, so while you're looking for a holistic transformation, it's not something you do in one shot, uh, one moon shot, if you like. You know, it's something that you build um, and do incrementally over time. Thank you very much. And let's move on to some comments here. Michael Rander sent me before the show. Michael, should we hit the four pillars to a truly digital mindset since we just mentioned that mindset comment a few minutes ago? Are, are you okay with that? Sure, Absolutely. Okay, let me just read so, the four pillars, and then I'll ask yep. you to just go on, and, and uh, I want to get this because it'll be in the transcript. <laughs> so if anybody's blogging or whoever blogs, I want them to have this up front. So the, the four pillars for adopting, for companies to adopt to set up their future success, and this is based on the study we're discussing today. Number one, make transformation a priority. Number two, transform customer-facing functions first. There, we answered that question. Number three, invest invest in next-gen technology. And four, become a talent-driven organization. Okay, Michael, talk to us. Let's expand, please. All right. So if, if we look at uh, the first one, so they're focused on true transformation. That, that means basically, as I said, that they're looking across the board, across their company to do this. It's not something that happens in the line of business. It's not something that happens in the region. It's something that goes across, right? So they are um, they're doing what they can to enable sort of a constant change within their company, and they're trying to, to reinvent business models. They're trying to get ahead of their competition, obviously. Um, but the way that they're, they're doing it is, is not just top-down or bottoms-up. It, it's really trying to rally the entire company around it. And that is what is true transformation, right? So, uh, so getting everyone involved. It needs to start somewhere, granted, but you mm-hmm. need to make sure you bring everyone in on it. So that's the first part. Uh, we talked a little bit about the customer-facing part. Um, one of the interesting things is that the people who are doing this well and who are really putting the customer experience first and saying, okay, this is, this is sort of a gateway to digital transformation, um, they 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 are more successful, and they're actually 58% more likely to cite customer empowerment as a key global trend. So this is something that they're focused on. It's something they see happening. It's something they see is going to change their future going forward, which is why they put so much emphasis on that part. Um, the third one is investing in next-generation technology. I mentioned before that they are much more likely to invest in things like uh, machine learning, in IoT and so forth. And, 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 and they're really doubling down on that, right? So it, it's a way to run their business. It's a way to get ahead of their competition. And so they are making those investments. Um, but one of the interesting things we found with the study was that they're also using sort of a bimodal or dual speed 
uh, architecture in order to, to do that. So basically, it allows them to uh, use their current infrastructure while building out these new technologies. Um, so if, if they want to get into artificial intelligence or uh, the, using a bimodal architecture, it allows them to do that while maintaining the progress they are currently seeing in their business. Um, so that's the third piece. And then finally, the fourth piece of the digital mindset is this fact that they are talent-driven. Um, so pretty much everyone will say that, hey, it's, it's very important to have a high-caliber talent within your company. Um, but what's interesting with the leaders and those who really see this digital mindset is the fact that they are um, they're investing more in their current um, their current workforce while also investing in getting new people in to take care of these new needs or the new business models that they're setting up. So they're doing both at the same time and playing both sides, investing more in order to get the results. Uh, when we looked at the other group, the 97%, um, it, it really depended a little bit on which way they were doing it. If they were trying to hire new people, there were companies definitely that were investing in new technologies and say, okay, we need to hire new people to go and fulfill our needs with these new technologies. But um, they weren't focused as much on retraining then. So they were really doing one or the other, and that was the key difference between the leaders and the followers, so to speak. Thank you, Michael. Before I get Dan and David to comment on this, I want to pull in one more note from your one more comment from your notes uh, that we can. I think we can wrap this all up in one statement. You say a company that wants to catch up to the leaders. And we've been talking about the top three percent must pull an Elon Musk and change the terms of the conversation. Give me one sentence. How do they change that conversation, Michael? Well, that that is really. I mean, the Elon Musk thing is. Uh, taking on what he did at Tesla, right? So it, it was mm-hmm. really about how he persuaded everyone that the electric car is not just a fad. It's something that can be truly desirable. And then building upon that with all the other things that he's doing now in terms of the electric, uh, sort of the solar roofs and um, now the new semi-truck, electric semi-truck they came out with. So it becomes a vision of what's going to happen in the future and how can we adapt our business model to the future. And that, that is really what he was doing and that's the example we're trying to highlight here. Thank you. And it's a, it's a great example. And I think when you take somebody's name and you make it uh, make it into an icon, if you will, or a buzzword, or you hang something off of that and say, let's pull an Elon Musk, that makes it powerful because people recognize what the importance is and they know who he is and they know what he did. And so there's there are proof points there. He's already proved his concept in so many ways. Thank you. Dan Wellers, love to get your thoughts on these four pillars and the pulling an Elon Musk. Any or all, please. Yeah, yeah, I won't do all the pillars, but the Elon Musk is fascinating, and it actually connects to the prediction I'll make at, at the end. Okay. Which t- tied up in that is that we will all need to pull an Elon Musk to maintain our value into the future, but we'll get to that in a second, or at the end. Um, the um, thing I will react to specifically about the, the, the what Michael's four, four pillars is, um, Michael, he talked about making transformation a, a uh, priority and looking at opportunities, looking at this as an opportunity to reinvent uh, business models. Uh, a, a lot of that has to do, and, and this goes back to the mindset question also, of, of who are you comparing yourself to 
and what is the who is your competition right what what are you trying to what problem are you trying to solve what business are you in and i think companies the the mindset mm-hmm. that many companies are are in and approach this with is is looking at their competition the way they always have the traditional competition you know if you're a car company it's other car companies if you're if you're if you're whole foods for example the 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 Innovative grocery company. I mean, they, they they probably look at their competition or as as Stop and Shop or the other traditional mm-hmm. traditional groceries. Yet they were both just bought by Amazon. So yes. you know, was yes. Am, so what business really were they in? Uh, and you can go back in history also at looking at. At, at Kodak, who really thought that they were in the chemical business and didn't see the digital issue coming, or even Polaroid in the same market, where where that, that that always assumed that they were in the market for printed pictures. They assumed that there would always be the need for the printed picture. Now both these companies saw digital coming, but they didn't see it for the threat that it was. So, so getting out of that mindset is critical. Um, you can make transformation a, pri- a priority, but you have to be clear what you're transforming against or to. So I'll stop there. Thank you, Dan. I know we have we have more, and I've tweeted something that's coming up next. We're gonna yes, we have time to cover one one massive look at next gen technology with you. But David Yonker, love to get your thoughts on the four pillars Michael Rander described. Yeah, the uh, actually building similar off uh, what Dan mentioned and the Elon Musk uh, comment too. You know that the, the it is an incredibly difficult thing to break out of. Um, you know, and and that's that is the uh, um, in many ways why I think you need to spend so much time upfront thinking through what is it exactly, who, what exactly are you in the business for, you know what challenge are you trying trying to address right like because we can we can like the other examples of course are uber and lyft right where you know they have completely rethought the whole concept of you know what is a uh you know a car um taxi kind of service right mm-hmm. um the uh, the traditional assumption was well you need a car um you know what i mean taxi companies need to have lots of cars for example um and uh you know and 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 some form of payment and and you know all that sort of stuff and you know uber and lyft for the most part neither of them actually own cars right uh, they right. sort of really re- completely rethought that whole concept um although funny enough they're they're looking at buying fleets of cars um yeah. you know now but they originally started without without cars at all, right? And completely rethought, you know, re, sort of broke through a lot of the basic assumptions that, that existed about, you know, why they existed and what they do and what's the value that, that really gets delivered in a certain, a certain space. And that's the challenge companies have, um, you know, for digital transformation. Very much. It's that creative thinking outside the box, not just, David, not just going beyond the laurels, as we mentioned, the arrogance of success, but maybe it's just sitting down with a, a blank piece of paper, uh, the Latin term where where describes how our brains are when we're born is tabula rasa, a clean slate and saying, as somebody just mentioned, what business are we really in right now? What business do we really want to be in? What are the questions we should be asking? How do we chart our future? What industries might converge and combine in our space and what industries can we converge on to make a different kind of a space and what are we going to do to use digital technologies? Did I cover it all, David? Yeah, pretty close. Yeah, exactly. You know, there's, the thing that I think sometimes, you know, that we struggle with 
uh, you know, in terms of getting there is, is we think it's something that we just spend a couple minutes on and we move on and we get to, you know, addressing yep. how the problem gets solved. Um, and if you, you know, for people that have ever sort of participated in design thinking, for example, you know, part of what gets done um, is that uh, you slow the pace down and you spend a lot of time um, just sort of, uh, you know, uh, playing with an idea and, and sort of mulling it over in your mind and moving it mm-hmm. around and looking at it from different angles and, and contemplating it and debating it and that kind of stuff. At times, feels like agonizingly slow. Um, and, and why can't we just speed up to the next stage? But, you know, it's that slowing down and giving time to think about that that's so critical to, to sort of uncovering those insights um, about who you are and what you do. Very well, point well taken. Slow it down. Thank you, David. And Dan Wellers, we're going to get to this right now, Next Gen Technologies. Let me read here from your notes. You say, tech innovations like blockchain, machine learning, AR and VR and 3D printing are disruptive individually, but their real power is when they combine, intersect, and converge. We need a definition here, Mr. Wellers. What are we talking about? Uh, how much time do I have, Bonnie? <laughs> you've got a, you've got about four minutes. <laughs> okay, all right. Um, Go, Dan. Yeah, I, yeah, it's okay. So, so yeah, so that, that I, and I, I, I kind of leaned toward that or mentioned that direction in a previous comment, and it is when, when they combine, when they converge, when these individually disruptive things converge, you really get the game changers. You get things like smart homes and smart cities and. Connected healthcare and autonomous vehicles and you know 3D printing and and you know, sharing economy platform and platforms and this is only going to accelerate um, with the result of of you know it's much much harder to predict what's coming and to be thoughtful about what business you're really in referencing what David was just talking about so so a useful way to think about it is is digital is a foundation. Uh, and you have to think of, of, of it that way, the, the, the Internet, social, mobile, cloud, big data that we've been talking about for years before these new technologies, they're the technology foundation and in, in lots of ways a platform. Then, then thing, these individual technologies, 3D printing, blockchain, machine learning, you know, chatbots, augmented reality, et cetera, et cetera, these are built on top of that foundation, using that foundation, uh, and 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 building building value on top of it, and, and these things, these individual ones, are creating a lot of today's hype, and for good reason. But because individually, every single one of those is disruptive. But the real power, as we talked about, is when they combine, when they converge, when they intersect in unlimited in unlimited ways. I mean, r- radical life extension that I talked about at the beginning mm-hmm. is another one of these you know, really real paradigm shifters, uh, uh, which is why this transformation is so is so massive. And the problem with it is that w- w- when we try to predict the future, we try to predict and figure out what to do today, to talk about Ray Kurzweil's quote, mm-hmm. that's all, that, that, that it makes even predicting the short-term future, short-term outcomes, highly uncertain with lots of outcomes, and they're both negative and positive, right? So, so you know, the self-driving cars is a great example, right? Right. The car culture is so deeply embedded, in this country at least, that, that you know, try to imagine a future where humans don't drive or even don't own cars, 
well, we'll get a 90% reduction, research says, in accidents, which is great, mm-hmm. but a 90% reduction in insurance premiums, too. What's that going to do to the insurance market? That's right. um, traffic fines might disappear, right? But so do parking fees as a source of revenue for companies. Um, delivery jobs will disappear, right? Uh, but uh, there's opportunities for new jobs, new infrastructure, all kinds of things. But sitting, and, sitting through and thinking through the impacts of these is critical to develop these multiple views of the future that you can then figure out how to react to today. Um, there's a lot more, but in the interest of time, I'll stop and let other folks comment. Thank you, Dan. You know what? Uh, rather than commenting specifically on what Dan just said, I have a question for the panel I alluded to in the, in the beginning. Uh, we're just about in the predictions round, but I'm going to combine this question with your, my request for each of you to predict where this is all going. So David P. Yonker, let's start with you. My question for the table is, if everybody heeds, everybody listening and the ripple effect, and of course millions of people are going to hear this show and your words of wisdom, David, Michael, and Dan, and the results of the study on executive leadership and where it's going. If everybody heeds the, the lead of these 3% leaders and everybody takes this to heart and all these companies sit down, slow down the pace, they look and they say, what are the right questions? Where do we want to go? Where are we now? And they do it right. Won't that set the business world up for such a massive competitiveness that how will companies rise to the top if everybody's doing it right? I guess that's my question. So, David, if you could address that as well as your predictions, I can give you, oh, 90 seconds. Do it all, please. Go ahead. Perfect, yeah. (laughs) You you know, it comes down to, uh, I think of the, um, you know, what's that quote from Albert Einstein, you know, uh, success is what is it? Two percent inspiration, ninety-eight percent perspiration. You know, yep. so so even if the companies, you know, if every company was to think this through um, and come up with an amazing plan, in reality, you know, many of them would fall on execution. You know, they would get scared okay. of what they're doing. They wouldn't implement it all the way, and and that's just sort of the nature of things. Execution is, you know, comes comes down to it's so much of what success is. So, you know, I think of actually just the, the Thanksgiving season, you know, in the U.S., and then, of course, we had Black Friday, and, you know, everyone goes crazy on shopping, and, in fact, I even did my own little little bit of craziness on shopping online. Um, you know, they say that the articles were saying that Amazon was the big winner out of Black Friday, um, you know, the online retailer. And, and you look at the stats of the number of retail stores that have been going out of business. It's crazy, right? Um, and, um, and yet you see Amazon uh, reinventing itself by going and buying these physical stores. Um, you know, so this leads into my prediction, you know. And, and, in fact, actually, we're starting to see Uber and Lyft where they started to say, well, we're, in, we're not in the car business. We're in the taxi business, but we don't even own a single car, you know, which completely upended the whole concept of, of how that works. And now they're going back and sort of getting into the car business a little bit. Um, and, uh, and so what we're seeing, I think, you know, even in the retail space and the car space, you know, companies are realizing that, look, um, not all of life will be digital, you know, and so the prediction mm-hmm. is that we're going to start to see things where things are digital first, but not completely digital, right? Amazon's going to be digital first, but not, but they'll also have some store presence. And so we're going to see a reinvention of what it means to, to have like physical stores and physical cars and those sorts of things, but in a digital first world. Um, and we're starting to start to sort of see the signs of that, I think, uh, in the market. Thank you, David. I have 90 seconds exactly for Mr. Rander. Michael, go ahead. Use them, please. <laughs> sure. So it's funny uh, David was mentioning Albert Einstein because I, I, I just thought of another quote by 
by Albert Einstein, where he says that we cannot solve our problems with the mm-hmm. same thinking we used when we created them. Exactly. Um, so, and it, it comes back to my original quote from, from William Pollard as well. It's, it's about how things, you can't just rest on your laurels, as you say. I mean, you you, you got to reinvent yourself. So whether it's uh, Uber or, um, or Lyft or someone else like uh, Airbnb, for instance, right? I mean, they are basically the world's largest hotel chain without owning hotels, right? Mm-hmm. So there's always going to be a new way to do things. And I, I think that to your question of whether or not if everyone is doing digital transformation and they're all going all in and doing this, is it the competition is just going to go crazy? It, I, I believe that there's still going to be people who will always reinvent the wheel, who will use their current platform to do something new. And for me, the digital transformation is more about that. It's about setting you up to change your model as opposed mm-hmm. to doing something now. So it's not like everyone is going to be set up to do it the same way, but they're going to be set up to be flexible and change their model as they go along. To me, that is what's going to drive innovation, what's going to drive success going forward. Thank you, Michael. I have to cut you. I need 60 seconds for Mr. Wellers. Dan, you're all yours. Go ahead fast. Well, I only get 60. Okay. I'm um, sorry, dear. Yeah, I think... Um, Michael's right. It's gonna. It's if everybody's doing the same things and reacting to the same stuff, then it's the speed and the flexibility that they will have in how they adapt and how they adjust. As companies, they're going to need to do things like you know see and assess trends and factors and forces affecting change really quickly. They're going to have to get good at that. They're going to have to get much better at at choosing options, things to incubate, initiatives for experimentation, where learning rate, how fast they learn, is going to be key. Dozens of experiments for per per year, not just not just one or two, and then being able to adapt and have that culture of adaptation. And then this goes back. I'll tie that into the Elon Musk comment. One sentence. One sentence. It's going to be rely on people skills, curiosity, imagination, persistence, risk taking, creativity. We will all need to be Elon Musk to be able to provide that kind of value that we will need to to remain competitive. Wow, that was a quotable moment. That was a quotable moment, Dan. Thank you very much. I wanted, That's okay. Well deserved. Take a deep breath now. I want to tell our listeners that next week starts our annual, I think it's our fourth or fifth annual prediction specials. I'll be doing five weeks of predictions. We're scheduled to have 75 thought leaders. I know Dan and David will be among them. 15 a week. The specials will be December 6th, December 13th this year, and then January 3, 10, and 17 next year. Can't wait for that. It's going to be wild and wonderful. So I want to thank David P. Yonker, Michael Rander, Dan Wellers. Thank you so much. Great to speak with you again. I learned a lot, and I know our listeners did. Aaron, Aaron at World Talk Radio, thanks for always being our engineer extraordinaire. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, and here is my call to action. And by the way, I ordered some stuff on Amazon last night at 10 p.m., and it was delivered by somebody's car to my driveway before we went on the air 11 hours after I hit the, the order button. That, to me, is amazing. Here's my call to action. Fasten your seatbelt, especially if you're the Amazon delivery guy. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Have a wonderful one. Happy holiday season to all. We'll talk to you next week when we start our 2018 prediction special. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. To keep the Coffee Break conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter, hashtag pound sign SAPRADIO. 
Please join your host, Bonnie D. Graham, again next Wednesday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a great week.